Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study, our Foundations Bible study here at Faith Family Church. Uh, If you're joining us live on Facebook, welcome. Uh, I just ask that you would, as always, host a watch party if you'd like. I'm just going to go over some quick announcements here, and then we'll get right into the service. Um, This Saturday at 10 a.m., Heidi will be going live uh, for her women's Bible study. So for all of you uh, women out there that want to be a part of that Bible study, this Saturday at 10 a.m., she will be going live and uh, teaching uh, on on the internet for all of you since we're still under the quarantine order. Um, just a, you know, I actually posted a live video earlier today about just the different announcements and things like that, uh, kind of what we're doing moving forward. We're still uh, waiting to hear from our governor um, and kind of watching to see what takes place here. Um, as of right now, we haven't changed any of the dates on anything, but... Uh, Everything is is uh, subject to change, and one of the things that we've said repeatedly is that we won't cancel any of them, but we will reschedule them. So just as a uh, reminder to you, that will um, take place if need be. So um, right now, I know we have seven people signed up for, um, for the uh, baptisms on Easter Sunday. Uh, I know we have one child dedication for Mother's Day, which is in May. Uh, if you do want to be water baptized, um, please go to the website and uh, go over to the forms tab on the website. It's faithfamilybillings.com and fill out that form and send it to us and we will uh, register you there So uh, and mark you down. But right now we do have seven, so that's going to be good. And then the other stuff as far as the calendar goes, if you want to go back and watch that video, you can, and that'll save us some time tonight. I just want to read a couple of scriptures and continue to do what we've done uh, in Psalms 91. There's a passage of scripture that the Lord had given me. Uh, I'm going to go to Zechariah 10.1, and it says this, Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. The Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain grass in the field for everyone. We are believing God for rain. So before we um, actually uh, get into the Psalms 91, I just want to pray right now, and uh, you can, where you're at, unite your faith with me. Um, People will probably still be getting on here uh, as we get going, but um, unite your faith with mine, and we'll believe God. God can move and, and do things He's not limited by distance. So, Father, we do. We just come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you. You are so faithful and good to us. Lord, you, you, nothing that's happening today has ever has caught you off guard. You know. You have the answer. So right now, just in, in our, out of our hearts and from our hearts, we plug our spirits into yours, Lord. You are our source. You are a source of strength. You are a source of life, our source of faith. You are our source for everything that we need. Lord, everything in this life, this natural life is temporal. But everything with you, Father, is eternal. And we draw from the wells of heaven. We draw from the wells of salvation. The the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ tonight. Holy Spirit, you are our teacher. You lead us and guide us into all truth. 
You give us wisdom and understanding. You give us revelation, knowledge, enlightenment to our minds. You cause our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to understand. So we believe you. And we we do, Lord. We purposely shake off the cares of this life, the worries, the fears, the things that try to come. We stop them in the name of Jesus right now. And we focus in on you using our faith in Jesus' name. So let's just do that right now. And we're going to declare Psalms 91. And uh, you can just agree where you're at. But I'm going to declare it over our families, over our church, and over ourselves. The scripture says in Psalms 91.1, it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And then it says, I will say of the Lord. And so this is what we say. He is our refuge and our fortress. Our God in him we trust. Surely he shall deliver us from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover us with his feathers and under his wings we shall take refuge. His truth is our shield and our buckler. We are not afraid of the terror by night nor the arrow that flies by day. I know sometimes people have said to me, well, I've had terror wake me up in the middle of the night. I have had it too. And in that moment, you need to rise up within and declare, you cannot stay here, terror. I am not afraid of you and resist that terror. And that's called fighting the good fight of faith. Verse six says, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness. We will not be afraid of pestilence, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. We won't be afraid of destruction. You know, when the world and those who don't have the Lord, when they're falling apart in disaster, we're not because we're the children of God. We have faith and an anchor that's outside the realm of what's going on naturally. And so we don't have to be afraid. A thousand may fall at our side and 10,000 at our right hand, but it shall not come near us. And then I put next to it, or my kids. I just added that in there because they're my kids. They're under my jurisdiction. I'll just say this too regarding kids. The other day, um, um, Taylor was, my middle child was talking to me and uh, she said something about, you know, the coronavirus or something. I said, well, you're not worried, are are you? And she said, uh, she said, no, I'm not worried. She said, you and mom don't seem worried. She said, but if you were worried, I'd be worried. So in other words, clue in, parents. You're, if, you're gonna, if you're not going to have worried kids, you're going to have to stop. And don't yield to the lie that you can't not worry. That's a lie. The scripture says, cast all your care on the Lord because he cares for you. The other thing I would say with that is this. Don't give in to the lie that you, you don't care about somebody unless you're worrying about them. Actually, you're hurting them, and you're hurting yourself in the same in the same place. So you need to be aware of that, um, and and fight against those things. Uh, it says this: It shall not come near us. Only with our eyes shall we look and see the reward of the wicked. I really like that translation because we reap what we sow, and and there's a harvest. If there's a wickedness sown, there can be a harvest on that. If there's not repentance. And so if there's no repentance, if there's this hardness, this harshness against God and against righteousness, then there'll be a harvest that comes to you of wickedness. It's, it's the principle of seed time and harvest. It won't end. 
as long as there is an earth and a sun and everything spinning here. Um, it says this, Because we have made the Lord who is our refuge, even the Most High, our dwelling place, no evil shall befall us, nor shall any plague come near our dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over us to keep us in all our ways. In their hands they shall bear us up, lest we dash our foot against a stone. We shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. We shall trample underfoot. In prayer, as far as for the church and with the church, this is something that we've had come to us over and over again. Is this idea that we are to trample the enemy. If you're in fear of COVID-19, you're not trampling COVID-19. We're not going to be afraid. We're going to push down, trample down, continue to move forward in faith over the top of all the plans, pursuits, uh, offspring, uh, uh, all the foul things that the enemy has been able to uh, 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 propagate through the earth, um, including sickness and disease. We'll continue to move forward and be in faith, unafraid, because the Lord is with us. And it's not just that we have to muster up some sort of uh, energy within us to try and all of a sudden became, become the spiritual warrior that we're supposed to be. You're missing it. This is not an emotional thing. This is a faith thing. The reason why we have authority is because Christ has seated us in heavenly places. It's not because we ran up there and, and worked our way into the seat. Christ worked his way into the seat and we receive it by faith. And then we walk out from there. And that's what faith does. So he says this, You'll, you, the young lion and the serpent, you shall trample underfoot. Thank God uh, we can trample underfoot. Now the Lord responds to us. He says, because you have set your love upon me, therefore I will deliver you. You know, if you're, uh, I want to get to the message tonight, but because of the current circumstances and where we're at right now, I know many people are dealing with, with fear. And here's the thing. We're resisting fear. But, but do yourself a favor. If, if you're dealing with concern, fear, worry about those things, cut off the source. Stop. Put the news media in quarantine. Get rid of them. They are clickbait happy. They want you to look at every... They, they're going to report every death. I heard a um, statistic today, and it's probably changed, but it was deaths from January 1 to, to March, or I guess April today, but I think this was from yesterday. might have been today, but April 1, and how many deaths around the world... And the amount of abortions that have taken place far exceeds the deaths of the coronavirus. I'll just tell you that. The other thing I will say is this. I do find it a little ironic that the same places that voted to kill a live baby are struggling to keep people alive. Decide which side of the fence you're on. Stop trying to play both sides like you're God. Save life. Don't destroy it. If you're after saving lives, why are you pro-abortion? Why would you pass a law that states that you can kill a baby after, they're born, after an abortion takes place, but the baby's not dead? Who, what are you, politicians? 
that are going this way. What are you? You don't even know what you are. You're split. You're trying to save lives and crying out over the fact that you won't have enough things to save lives, but yet you're promoting and propagating and legalizing the murder of babies. You don't know what you are. You need to repent. And that's a word of the Lord for you. So I didn't intend to go there, but it's good nonetheless. You should share it on Facebook. Um, Because you say, oh, you want to just rebuke those people? Yes, for their salvation, not for their destruction. You cannot, if there is no repentance, there'll be no salvation. And uh, sometimes people think, well, you know, that's not what I'm used to hearing out of, of preachers or different things like that. Well, I'll just say this. As, as the Lord and, and the return of the Lord continues to come, and I know the Lord will, at different times, will emphasize different things. But I'll say this. The Lord can turn the emphasis to repentance very quickly, and he, and he has, and we should. Because if there is not fellowship with the Lord, let's just say, for argument's sake, not, I'm not prophesying now, um, or sp- speaking just by... Uh, like trying to foretell the future. But let's just say things got worse. How well can you hear from God? If the government can fail this quickly in areas and cause and allow and even even, uh, help the panic that is going on and the fear that is being propagated, what else will they not be able to handle? The government is not our salvation as the church. They are not our God, and they never will be. Jesus Christ is our Lord. It's not our creature comforts. It's not all the things we like. Jesus is our Lord, and there needs to be that place. And I really do feel like this is a great opportunity, and it is the, the Lord is calling out in this time saying, Hey, come back to me. Come back to me. Um, because uh, he is our stability. So he says this, and this is the Lord to you, because you've set your love upon me, and you can do that at any time. Therefore, I will deliver you. I will set you on high because you have known my name. You you call upon me, and I will answer you. You need to declare that. When I call on the Lord, he answers me. I hear a lot of, uh, well, I don't know. I just don't hear from the Lord. That is, that is a terrible thing to say. It's something you shouldn't say because the Lord said that he answers you. And so we are listening and we hear from him. A lot of times what people are saying is, is they just don't know how to hear from him. And it's a still small voice on the inside. But the, the, the stronger you, the more you grow with the Lord, it's easier and easier every year. I hear better from the Lord today than I ever have. He says this to us, I will be with you in trouble. I will deliver you and honor you. And with long life, I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. And so we declare it. Lord, with long life, you will satisfy us and you will honor us and you will deliver us and you will show us your salvation. And you are with us in trouble, Lord. So we're never alone ever. So you need to declare that. Continue to declare it. Again, I want to remind you of this as well. With your kids. If your kids come to you and you don't have an answer, take them back to the Word of God. Take them back to the Word of God. Teach them the Word of God. Your kids will believe it faster than you will. 
Because they haven't been trained in unbelief as much as you have. Because <laughs> they haven't been on the planet as long. They'll believe it quicker. They'll get quicker manifestations. You know, you probably have to have them lay hands on your head when they're done. You know, because they'll have, the, they'll have it before them. But I just wanted to encourage you with that. Don't be afraid. Uh, 1 Timothy 6.12 says, fight the good fight of faith. Don't yield to fear. Don't yield to it. Uh, you need to get an attitude against certain feelings and things that the enemy come, that, is, that comes against you. Don't go into beg God mode. Go into, Lord, when I've done all I can to stand, I'm going to stand there for. Don't go into, it's not fair. Let's not talk about that. If you're going to go to, it's not fair, you're not going to go into faith mode. It's not fair will lead you away from faith. It won't lead you toward faith. And so we need to be aware of that and be, and be conscious of that. So let's, uh, let's do this. Let's go over to Romans chapter 9. And if I get interrupted again by the Spirit of God, then we'll, we'll go back to where we were. But I'll go to Romans chapter 9. We're talking about free will. And we're actually talking about uh, the fact that there are three different wills operating in the planet. We looked at this before. And what we've been looking at is the fact that um, really trying to give a much a more balanced view of what uh, is called the sovereignty of God. And uh, last week we talked about uh, Jacob and Esau. And uh, we, we looked over Romans chapter 9. But I just want to read over a couple of things here and remind you of uh, some of the things that we looked at. And... Uh, and uh, and then we'll get into Moses and Pharaoh. It's going to be good. I'm excited about it. So sovereignty, and this is a statement that, I, that we've made from uh, the foundations of Pentecostal theology. It states this. We have already, under the previous heading, discussed God's sovereignty over nations and the unseen realm. Some treatment at this point should be given to the age-long controversy over God's sovereignty versus man's free will. Paul writes in Ephesians, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the pleasure of his will. Not the pleasure of our will, but the pleasure of his will. So we see here predestination. The reason why we have to go over these things repeatedly is because there is so much confusion concerning this subject. There is so much religiosity that has been implemented. And really what I've found through the years is, is that a lot of people just repeat what they heard. They don't even really know why they're saying it. But they just repeat what they heard. And they'll make statements, you know, broad statements uh, like, you know, well, God is in control. And they'll say that about horrible things like a tornado going through an area and killing a child that was in a house where a family was hunkered down. And, and they'll make statements, well, God knows. God is in control. And they're just broad statements that really leave the impression that God killed the baby. If you really boil it down to what it is. And they're just not healthy statements spiritually. They haven't been, they have not been taken to the scripture and weighed against truth and filtered through the purification process of the word. And they haven't been taken into context both at a, at a, at a finite level, but then also at a broader level over the top of who God is as a whole. 
Um, and it's been stated also in the process of this and, and stated uh, more than once. But something that Bill Johnson said, Jesus is perfect theology. In other words, what is the statement? Jesus said, when you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So that means everything needs to come into, our, our understanding of God needs to come and, and settle within who Christ represented him to be. Above everything else, he is the great I am. He is the perfect example of the Father. So that's why we keep going over this again and again. This passage, passage seems to infer that everything results from the will of God, what we just read in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. On the other hand, John in Revelation chapter 22 quotes Jesus in his final appeal to man and says, and whosoever will, which implies a separate will, let him come and take of the water of life freely, Revelation twenty-two seventeen in the second half. This passage clearly says that the water of life is available to any on the basis of choice and human free will. Unquestionably, the doctrines of election and predestination are in the Bible. On the other hand, we have the words of Jesus while he wept over Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered thy children together, and ye would not. Matthew 23, 37. Again, and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. John 5, 40. And again, whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Which is John three sixteen. In truth, the Bible teaches both positions. God is sovereign, but not arbitrary. In other words, it's not based on random choice. God's not in heaven shooting dice over your life. He's not in heaven with the angels and Jesus going, should we keep him or not? I'm gonna, I'm, if we roll a four, we keep him. If we roll a anything less there, strike him with lightning. <laughs> you say, that sounds harsh. Yeah, but people have this image of God. I know people... Through the years, people will rebel and not repent, and they'll do whatever they want, and they'll make rash statements, and then they'll shake their fist at God and go, they'll make statements like, this is God's fault. This is, why did you do this to me? He didn't. You've rejected him, done what you wanted and rebelled, and now you're eating from a table of rotten food and you're mad about it. You need to repent. If you come back to him, he'll clear the table and set the food with the bread of life and the, and, the, and, the, and the resources of heaven. He'll give you a feast in the midst of your enemies, but you have to change. You have to repent and turn to him and repent of your ways that are contrary to him. <clears throat> Our inability to reconcile two positions does not make one position or the other untrue. Our inability to see both can be true at the same time is due to our finite human comprehension. God can be sovereign without violating man's essential freedom. In other words, God does have a plan from the beginning, and it will come to pass at the end. And you say, well, that sounds sovereign. It is in the fact that he has a will, and it will come to pass in the end. But in the middle... We are given opportunity to choose his plan or to choose our own, and really it ends up being Satan's plan. We can choose. We have the right to choose. And he's given us that ability. People say, well, I don't want the right to choose. 
You don't get to choose that. <laughs> he said, that sounds, that sounds uh, uh, funny. Yeah, you don't get to choose whether you have the right to choose or not. You have the right to choose. In other words, I'll put it to you like this. Nobody will be able to stand before God and have any evidence against him that their life was destroyed by him. It will not happen. Period. It will not happen. God is a judge and he is, uh, he's not lazy in his analysis of the evidence. It is perfect every single time. People say, well, I don't like that. I know it's because you're rebellious and you need to repent. And if you don't, people say, well, I don't want to be told that. Okay, do what you want, but it's still the truth. And if you don't repent, then you'll have the harvest of death. And it will affect your family and it will affect your loved ones. So you need to be aware of that. All divine truth is in essence or in a sense paradoxical to us. Because our vision of reality is only in parts at the most 180 degrees. Divine truth is full circle, 360. Samuel Fisk quotes Charles Spurgeon as saying, Brethren, be willing to see both sides of the shield of truth. Rise above the babyhood, uh, rise above the babyhood which cannot believe two doctrines until it sees the connecting link. Have you not two eyes? Must you needs put one of them out in order to see clearly? <laughs> well, I don't like this other truth, so I'm going to pluck it out. That's not how it works. When you seek God and the Lord is leading you on truth and you're pursuing him and you have a heart after him, you will not be left in a place of confusion. You'll be left in a place of peace. People say, well, I haven't found peace on it yet. Then you need to keep seeking. It's that simple. Well, I want somebody to find it for me. Don't put your responsibility off on somebody else. It's your responsibility. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Dr. R.A. Torrey said this in the following. He said, uh, sets forth foreknowledge as the basis of reconciling predestination with man's freedom of choice. This is what he writes. The actions of Judas and the rest were taken into God's plan and plus made a part of it. Excuse me. And thus made a part of it. But it does not mean that these men were not perfectly free in their choice. They did not do as they did because God knew that they would do so. But the fact that they would do so was the basis upon which God knew it. Foreknowledge no more determines a man's actions than afterknowledge. Knowledge is determined by fact, not the fact by the knowledge. God knows from all eternity what each man will do, whether we, he will yield to the Spirit and accept Christ or whether he will resist the Spirit and refuse Christ. Those who will receive him are ordained to eternal life. If, the, if any are lost, it is simply because they have not come to Christ and thus obtain life, according to John 5.40. Jesus said in Revelation 22.17, Remember, whosoever will may come, and all who come will be received, John 6.37. God is not in control of every person's individual decisions. They are making those decisions. Now, God does take into account uh, how people are raised. 
He takes into account their current circumstances. He takes into account their level of spiritual maturity. He takes into account the things that they are not quite seeing correctly yet. You know, if any of if there's no computer on the planet that can process and handle the amount of information that God is dealing with with 7.7 billion people. That's for Herb. 7.7 billion people plus on the planet. Just because God knows something in advance, don't let that trip you up that he's making all the decisions. Because the, the free will still rests in us. It still rests in us. And we need to be aware of that and continue to keep that in the forefront. Because we live in a generation and we've been taught by uh, psychologists and we've been taught, and it's even in the church, We've been taught by that nothing's our fault, it's not our fault, that we shouldn't have any blame in anything. And the reality is, the longer I'm alive, the more I realize a whole lot of it is my fault, (laughs) Um, as far as my life is concerned, and what I have authority and influence over. You say, well, don't, don't you just feel condemned all the time? Actually, never. And you say, why? Because I understand the nature of my father. The nature of my father is mercy and compassion. He didn't say to me, Sean, if you've made a mistake, you better run for your life because I'm coming after you with a lightning bolt. He didn't say that. He said, if you've made a mistake, come boldly to the throne of grace and mercy. Come with an open heart, ready to receive mercy and ready to receive empowerment and instruction To not do that again. Included in that is discipline. And the Lord disciplines those he loves. We're not in a place in our relationship with our father. Where we need to be afraid of him. Like you would a rattlesnake or a. You know spider or something like that. That's not the kind of fear that the Lord wants us to have of him. It's an awe, a reverence, a respect. And a deep level of that as well. So, as we move forward here, Romans chapter 9 verse 1. We we look at where Paul begins to talk about um, uh, uh, his desire um, for the Jews to be born again. And we begin to see uh, a picture being painted here um, in Romans chapter 9. Uh, uh, what it is, is basically explaining how Israel fits into the grace picture and the coexistence of human and divine will on the earth. On the earth, there are three wills being done. There's God's through believers. There's Satan's will through unbelievers and through believers, unfortunately. And then there's man's will. And, um, you know, I heard a minister say this years ago. He said one of the biggest things he's repented over is when he's realized that he was used of the enemy to speak something that he shouldn't have or, or done something that he shouldn't have. And that should be a heartbreaker to us for sure. Um, it, should, it should bother our conscience deeply. But that being said, this is, this is the context of what we're looking at in Romans chapter 9. And so verse 1 says, I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, Verse 3, for I, would, I w- could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. 
Um, verse 4, who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises. And then verse 5, he says, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally God, the eternally blessed God. Amen. Israel. And then going on to verse number 6. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are Israel. Now, we're going to get into this again and look at it again because I feel like it's just good to just establish this over and over and get this in our mind concerning this passage of Scripture so that we can uh, kind of, uh, well, dissolve the Calvinistic uh, view of the sovereignty of God. So I'm going to read just a review over this again um, from the uh, Life in the Spirit New Testament Commentary. And this is in reference to verses 6 through 29, which we're about to go into. Some see this section a strong argument for Calvinism, in which God's sovereignty in election is seen to predetermine the eternal destiny of all individuals, either for salvation or damnation. Unlike Romans chapter 8, verse 29 through 30, however, the election of individuals is not the topic here. Rather, the election of God in, in this chapter concerns the election of nations and of peoples. The individuals named in verses 7 through 13 are those whom God elected to fulfill roles necessary for the advancement of his work with the nations. The emphasis, therefore, is not on the individual destinies of the ones named, but on the historical roles they played for the nations they represent. We may add then that God's election of nations is not determinative. In other words, it's not, he's not electing them in determining their destiny. For, for It's not determinative for the people within those nations. Now you've got to keep this in mind. For example, whereas the election of Israel was God's decision, the participation of a particular Israelite in the covenantal blessings depended on his or her individual response to God. Did God choose the Jewish people to bring forth the Messiah? Yes. Did every Jew naturally born serve God? No. Why? Because in his choice, collectively, he did not determine their free will. He didn't make up his mind for them. He didn't, or I should say it this way, he didn't make up their mind for them. He gave them free will. He gave them two options, and we saw this before in the scriptures, in the earlier uh, teachings, which you can go to the website and look, listen to those. But, but the Lord said, I call heaven and earth together. I set before you today life and death, blessing and cursing. And then he said this, choose life. Let me ask you a question. If God is controlling everything, how are you choosing? If he's already predestined you eternally, one way or the other, why tell you to choose? It makes absolutely no sense. And to just sit back and go, well, you know, the Lord's ways are mysterious. That's religiosity. That's not, that's not pursuing God and getting an answer. That's, that's, it's, it's, it, it, people say, well, I was trained that way. Well, it was the wrong way. 
Paul didn't say, if there's something you don't understand, Timothy, just throw it in the air and say, well, the, the Lord's mysteries are great and he performs strange things. He said, study to show yourself approved. A workman that does not need to be what? Ashamed. So what is the connection here? What is Paul telling Timothy in that passage? Timothy, if you don't study, shame is coming your way. In other words, if you want to avoid shame, study, learn, pursue God. Don't pursue God with the, with the, uh, the purpose of just trying to out-argue somebody else or trying to prove somebody wrong. Pursue God with a humble heart, yielded and open to the Holy Spirit and, and searching the Scriptures, following the guidelines in, in, in context of Scripture and, and learn and know the Word of God. We live in such a generation that wants to have 15-minute messages. They want to have, they want to pull out a devotion card a day. And, and, you know, this is my scripture for the day. That's fine if you want to have a scripture for the day and you're going to quote it all day long. But if that's your devotion, man, that's sorry. You need to spend time with the Lord. And people say, well, you say that, that's condemning me. You're not feeling condemnation. You're feeling conviction. We have a generation in the church that now, if everything isn't just right within their schedule and their comfort zone, then it's not God. How's your comfort zone right now? Because my comfort level is easy. I haven't even woken up at night. I, go, I hit the pillow, I go to bed, and I get up the next day. I haven't budged. You say, why? How could this be? Because my stability is not in the stock market. It's not, in, it's not even in the government to deal with COVID-19. The government has proven many times they can't deal with anything. There are so, and I don't even, I'm not going to even go there. But my point is this, if you want true stability, then get in the word. Know your father. Some of you have been saved for years and you barely crack your Bible ever. You haven't attended church in the longest time, and I'm not talking about since the quarantine, so don't go there. <laughs> you haven't been to church. You, you haven't fellowshiped. You, all of your fellowship is with people at work or outside of the church in the secular world, and you wonder why you're weak and why you're falling apart. Well, you're just, that's just mean. No, I love you enough to tell you the truth. The people that are coaching you the other direction, they actually don't even love you. They love themselves. They love their own feelings because they're afraid you're going to reject, they're going to, that you're going to reject them if they actually tell you the truth. The Lord is not that way. The Lord will look at the people that are headed to hell and say, if you don't change, if you don't repent and come after me, it's not going to be good for you. God has given us choice. He's given us Free will, and we need to use it and yield it to him, excuse me, in worship. So we see here that in short, God will achieve his purposes for the nations. The inclusion of a particular individual within his saving grace hinges on one's personal response to God's mercy. Let's go to verse 6 now in Romans chapter uh, 9. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are Israel. 
Now let's look at that phrase right there. Not all Israel is Israel. That's what Paul just said. Was he mixing words? Did he mean what he said? He said, not all Israel is Israel. This is, this, um, this, in verse 6 here, he says this. Within the nation of Israel is the commonwealth of Israel. Or believing Jews. Now, I'm going to make a statement here. Just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you're a believer. I'm talking about physical Jews. You, you can trace your lineage back to whoever. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't care who it is. You can trace it back. You're of Israeli Jewish descent. Just because you are does not mean you're a believer. You have to choose to believe. Now, let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul just made the statement. He said, not all Israel is Israel. And then the statement was made, within the nation of Israel is the commonwealth of Israel. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. I don't think we read this last week. I'm going to start in verse 11. It says this, Ephesians 2, 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh, by hands. Listen now, that at that time you were without Christ. Now watch this, being alien, aliens, look at the words that are, be, that are being used here. They were without Christ. They were not within Christ. They were without Christ. They were aliens from what? The commonwealth of who? Israel. Who's the commonwealth of Israel? It's the believing Jews. It, the commonwealth of Israel is not the unbelieving Jews. Listen to me now. The standard for salvation is by grace through faith. Is faith automatic because you're born a certain race? No. It is not. Faith is not automatic because you're... Now, it's available to anybody who's on the planet. But you're not automatically saved because you're born a particular race. That is not what Paul taught. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus looked at his own, the, the Jews in his day and said, you're going to hell and you're of your father, the devil. How much would that bless you if you were a minister in that day? He said, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You're a bunch of snakes. You know what he's saying? You're fork-tongued. You talk out of both sides of your mouth. One, one day you're this, the next day you're that. You're a snake. You're a hypocrite. You're a, you're he said, even if you do make a convert, he's talking to preachers. You make them twice the son of hell as you are. Jesus was a real seeker-sensitive, compassionate guy. He just walked around and made sure everybody felt super comfortable in their sin. I just don't buy it. I don't see it. And that's not my savior. My Savior never did that to me. You know, it was uncomfortable when I had to confess the fact that I was a heathen, an adulterer, not an adulterer, because I wasn't married. Thank God I've never been that. But a fornicator, that addicted to pornography, smoking weed, being, an al being a drunk, be drinking, partying, rebelling against... You know, it was uncomfortable to walk the aisle and get saved to my flesh. But hell didn't seem great to me. I thought, 
There's got to be something better here. So I chose to repent. People say, well, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Stop lying to yourself. Stop allowing the lie to be in you. You can repent at any time. You just have to choose. Will you? It's up to you. The choice is yours. You say, you're pushing it hard. It's just because I care about you and want you to make it. And the Lord loves you. And it's the Lord in me that compels you. The spirit of Christ, the love of God in me that compels others to be saved and to be born again. So the commonwealth of Israel is what we see here. So in order to be part of the commonwealth, and this is what Paul was saying here was basically, guys, you're now in the commonwealth because you've believed on the Savior. You've believed on the Savior. Yet, another commentary says this, there were many Jews saved in the Old Testament. Okay, so not all Israel was Israel. Paul makes that statement. And then the commentator goes on to say this, yet there were many Jews saved in the Old Testament. The word preached in faith will produce results in the hearts of the people looking for redemption. Not all racial Jews are the true Israel. Those Jews who have received Jesus as their Savior are the true Jews. The Jews at the time of this writing were blaming God for all their troubles. Instead of correcting their unbelief, they looked to someone else to blame, a scapegoat, and they put the blame on God. Well, God, it's your fault. We did everything we were supposed to do. How many know that's pretty arrogant to tell God you've done everything you've done, you were supposed to do? And now, obviously, it's your fault, God, because I'm perfect. That's a dangerous place to be. So we see then in verse 7, nor are, are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. So what do we see here? The Passion Translation of verse 7 reads, Physical descent from Abraham doesn't guarantee the inheritance because God has said, through Isaac, your descendants will be counted as part of your lineage. That's the Passion Translation. Or in other words, the covenant was given to those who are born supernaturally. That's what's being said here. It isn't because you're a child of Abraham. It's not just because you have that. Natural Jews were not what God was looking for. Neither is he looking for natural people of any race today. God is looking for people to be born again, made into a spiritual race today as he was looking for in Abraham's day. The natural seed is not what counts with God, but the regenerate, those born again, Matthew 3, 9 declares. We are not all children of God, nor are we all brothers and sisters because of anything attached to natural birth, color, race, or sex. True equality and relationship can only come through accepting Jesus as Savior and joining God's family. Galatians 3.26 tells us we are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Isaac was the faith seed of promise. Ishmael was the flesh seed of works or self-effort. Verse 8 goes on to say this, Romans 9.8, that is, those who are the children of flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. In the Passion Translation, it reads, this confirms that it is not merely the natural offspring of Abraham who are considered the children of God, rather the children born because of God's promise are counted as descendants. The Aramaic can be translated this way, the children of the kingdom. By implication, it is those who can be traced back to a supernatural birth who are regarded as children of God. Being born a racial Jew does not give anyone an in with God. Natural birth does not make you a child of God. Ishmael was as much a natural child of Abraham as Isaac. 
The first birth does not make you, uh, does not make you a child of God. It takes another birth, the new birth. Ishmael was not rejected because he was born from a bondwoman or even out of wedlock. The following generations show this. Isaac had twin sons born through a wife. One was accepted and one was rejected. In other words, it had nothing to do with the fact that they were physically from Isaac. It had to do with what? One rejected the covenant, one accepted the covenant from God. Jacob, think about this, had 12 sons born through two wives and two servants, and all were accepted. So how can we trace it back to a specific line, a bloodline in that sense? In other words, how were they all accepted? They were accepted because they had faith in the covenant. They heard the word and they responded in faith. You say, that's in the Old Testament. Yep. In the Old Testament, the law didn't save anybody in the Old Testament. The law wasn't given for salvation. The salvation message and the covenant was established by Abraham long between God and Abraham by grace through faith long before the the, uh, message of the law came about through Moses. So it goes on to say, uh, say this. The point that Paul is making is that our natural fleshly lineage is not what determines whether we are in covenant with God or not. What determines whether we have a covenant with God or not is if we are born again through faith in Jesus Christ. We must be born again in the spirit by faith in the promise. Or in other words, I'll put it to you like this. It is not predetermined you have a free will. I don't care if you were born a Muslim. I don't care if you were born a Jew. I don't care if you were born Irish, Scottish. Name it. It doesn't make any difference if you're African. It doesn't matter. The point is your skin color determines nothing. Your your natural bloodline determines nothing. What determines whether or not you're born again is if you choose out of your free will to yield to God's divine uh, uh, expression of love and mercy, his sovereign will, which is mercy, compassion, and love for all creation. And you yield to him and allow that his power to change your heart. Verse 9, for this is the word of promise, at this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. Verse 10, and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, verse 11, for the children not yet being born, nor have done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand not of works, but of him who calls. Then going on to verse 12, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. And this is a picture of God's foreknowledge, not his foreordination. Verse 13, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. That doesn't mean God hated Esau. Esau was God's creation. It means Esau's actions were hated. God doesn't love rebellion against him, but he loves the rebellious person. You say, how do you know that? Jesus came and died for everybody. Verse 14, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. How could there be unrighteousness with God? He is the righteous one. Verse verse 15. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. This story is found in Exodus 33, 13 through 23. Moses asked to see God's glory or the glory of God. God granted Moses' request based on God, 
not based on Moses. God's mercy, grace, and compassion, not Moses' good deeds. Did Moses murder a man? So why did he deserve to see God's glory? You see what's taking place here? People want to say, well, I've done this and this and this. You're not approaching God based on your good works or your bad works. You're approaching God based on his good works and his grace and faith towards that. You've got to get this picture out of the way that somehow God's just in heaven puppeting everything because he's not. So then it is not of him who wills nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. God's plan of grace for our everyday life is based on our decisions and God's knowledge ahead of time of our choice. Yet, the plan of redemption was not put into effect because of our choice, but the sovereignty of God based on his mercy. Jesus was sent to the cross and still would have died if no one would have accepted him. In other words, nobody is going to stand before the Lord at the end of this and go, you didn't do enough, it's not fair. The ultimate plan of God began with him and not us. God's compassion was here before us. The cross is the dividing line of whom God will have a plan for or not. Yet he has compassion on all. If they receive Jesus or not, his compassion provides a plan, but his justice takes over if they, if they reject the plan. He hates their decision. He does not hate them. Verse 17, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very reason I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. So let's look at this. God did not make Pharaoh rebellious. God saw it in his heart, gave him plenty of time to repent and change, then used this rebellion to declare his name through the nations, through the first plagues. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Let's go to Exodus chapter 7. Genesis, Exodus chapter 7. I want to read some of these verses to you. Exodus chapter 7 says this. Now, the Lord tells Moses at the beginning. He says, so the Lord said to Moses, verse 1. See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. That's a strong statement. And Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of, the, out of his land. Now watch this, verse 3. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people and children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. Now, if you just read that verse alone and you go, well, that doesn't look like what you just said. Or does it look exactly like what we just read in Romans chapter 9? Jacob, I loved. Esau, I... How did, he, how did God make that declaration? How does he know? Based on foreknowledge, not foreordination. Now, so you say, how do you say that? Go down to uh, verse 22. Well, I'll just do this. Um, Verse 12, for every man threw down his rod and they became serpents, but, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. That's what's going to happen in everything that's going on right now. God's move is going to swallow up the move of the enemy. Verse 13, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them. What did Pharaoh not do? He did not heed them. Verse 14, so the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses 
to let the people go. Who refuses? Pharaoh refuses. Verse 22, then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments and Pharaoh's heart grew hard. And we see that in 722. Then skip over to chapter 8, verse number 15. It says, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them. Who hardened his heart? Pharaoh did. Verse 32 uh, in chapter 8 says this. Um, it says, not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time. Neither would he let the people go. Chapter 9, verse number 34. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder, thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart. Can I ask you a question? If God is the one hardening Pharaoh's heart, how can he hold him accountable for sin? See, we have to think about these things. And not just, oh, look at it flippantly, but study and look and, and hear from the Holy Spirit and look at the context of what's being said. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let, he wouldn't let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken. Now watch this. After a point when it was evident Pharaoh would not repent, God removed all restraints and it was written, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Exodus 10, 1, uh, 10, 20, and 10, 27. And then also in Exodus eleven ten and 14, 8. There is always mercy before judgment. Because of Pharaoh's rebellion toward God, God's reputation was increased in Egypt and Canaan. Watch this now. A large, diverse group of races from Egypt left with the children of Israel. Go to Exodus 12, verse 38. This is interesting. I did not know this until I was studying this. And I thought, my goodness, there it is right there. It says this. Then the children of Israel, and this is uh, Exodus 12, verse 37. And I'm going to read through verse 38. It says, then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children, Look at verse 38. A mixed multitude went up with them also and flocks and herds and a great deal of livestock. A mixed multitude went up. So now watch this. This, this gives you a little insight into the Lord and to the fact that even in the midst of he's about to give them the law, what took place here? There were, there were, the word of God was spoken. There were miracles and signs and wonders that were given. And out of that, what rose in some of the non-Jews? Faith. And they responded by exiting with the Jews. If the Jews were the only ones that were going to be saved, no. What about Rahab? She was a harlot. That's a hooker. Today, in today's language, prostitute. All right? She was, and she was saved. She's in the hall of fame of faith. She, yeah, she's in Christ's lineage. The Savior's lineage. Why? Faith. Free will. God's sovereign move of compassion and mercy. People say, well, how could that be? Listen, if you're watching this or will watch this, maybe down, down, through, you know, who knows, maybe a year later, maybe two years later, I don't know, maybe it'll be next week. But if you're watching this, it doesn't matter if you've been a prostitute, a drug addict, a drug dealer, a murderer. I, I don't care it, what 
place you're coming from, if you will open your heart to the Lord and respond to His grace by faith, you will be saved. And men will, will, will mock you. Men will make fun of you. They'll call you crazy. Oh, how could you be saved? It's because they don't realize that they're just in, is, is in just as bad a condition as you were in your darkest sin. Even if they try and level their sin level against yours and think, well, I'm pretty good. Pretty good goes to hell every time. Every single time. But by grace through faith makes it in. Every single time. See, God sovereignly is moving for you in his mercy and his compassion. I'm, we're believing God around here that, that uh, uh, every sort of sin that is going on and rampant in the that God is moving in our area and in this area, including with everybody that we quote unquote seem to, it seems like the church is fighting against that God is going to move in his compassion and in his mercies, irregardless of their faith and do things that turn them to him. And we're going to see it. Not everybody will, but we know a vast, we're going to see a massive harvest out of this. So, we see this, that many were saved. When the spies came to Jericho, Rahab told them the inhabitants of Canaan, Canaan had been shaking from the day the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea. That story brought Rahab to a saving experience with the Lord. We see this in Joshua 2, 9 through 11. If anyone opposes God, they will be the loser every single time. Verse 18 says, therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills and on whom he wills, he hardens. God's will is based on our will, our faith or rejection. He has mercy on those who will accept his, who will accept his will and turns from those who will reject his will. God does, does to us what we do to him. Really, he allows us to choose between life and death. He makes permanent as judge what we decide. Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 3.34 God's mercy is based on the cross. We must decide to accept his work or not. This anticipates chapter 10. God's decisions are consistent with his character. His character is righteousness. His righteousness is a perfect standard which either blesses or curses depending on the decision that we make. If we accept Jesus' righteousness for our own, God blesses. If we refuse Jesus' righteousness, we accept our own and do not measure up to God's perfect standard. God has no alternative but to give you the sentence that you've chosen, which is condemnation. Although the Greek implies God hardens hearts, the Aramaic is more of a Hebrew idiom. So listen to this. God gives permission for them to be hardened. That's exactly what it means. So I'll read it to you in the King, New King James again. It says, therefore he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills he hardens. In the Aramaic it says, it sounds more like this. God gives permission for them to be hardened. You say, what do you mean by that? He gives you permission to choose the condition of your heart based on your faith or your choice. Now, I know I've gone over uh, by five minutes so far, so I at least have another 10, <laughs> which is really exciting because there's no faith kids downstairs anyway. And I want to get to this point of the potter and the clay because I promised I would. So we'll wrap up right here. Verse 19, you will say to me then, because this, this gets people in trouble. Why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? 
Who has resisted God's will? Humanity. Like since the garden. <laughs> you know what I mean? People sometimes are like, well, who, who has resisted his will? Every one of us has. This, is a, this, is a, this kind of statement is really arrogant. What kind of question is that for a man to ask the creator? Well, who has resisted your will? It's, it's, just, it's, just, it's not reverential at all. It's not at all. But it says this. The commentary I, I was reading is Bob Yandian's New Testament con- commentary, but he says this. It is not up to us to say, I have followed the Lord and done nothing wrong. Why have I still turned out this way? God still tells me through his word, I have not arrived. I can't seem to please him. It must be God's fault. I am the way I am. No one, in, no one is the way they are because it's God's fault. Any fault with us is with us and not with him. Any fault. Verse 20. But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Clay molding is used in two places in the Old Testament. Isaiah 45, 8 through 12 and Jeremiah 18, 6 through 10. We are born as lumps of clay and are molded into vessels of honor as we accept Jesus as our Savior and follow his word in discipleship. We are the way we are. I better read this again. We are the way we are because of our decision to follow. His power shapes us as we submit to his word and spirit. The glory still goes to him because of his power and grace, not our faith. So quit asking God, why have you made me like this? And say, I am the way I am because of my obedience to his will. If I want to be better, I need to grow more in his word and faith so I can be a vessel of honor. Now, there are a whole lot of people that will just flat rebel against that statement. You want to know why? Because they don't want to be responsible for them. But a true believer, anybody who's successful in the natural has discovered this, and anybody who's successful in the kingdom of God has discovered this. If you're going to be successful in your walk with the Lord or in the natural, you have to take responsibility for you. And nobody can do that for you. Verse 21, does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? In other words, we do not have the ultimate power God does. Our rebellion toward God does us no good. In the end, he will win and not us. God's desire is to make each of us a vessel of honor. Only he can make us a vessel of honor and only we can allow him to do so. The clay is man with his free will. The potter is God. A vessel of dishonor can be a believer or an unbeliever. The unbeliever rejects the righteousness of God and falls back on his own righteousness. He will eventually face hell in the lake of fire, banishment from the presence of God. The believer that rejects the life of faith, living by God's word and faces misery in life and lack of rewards in eternity. If you reject the life of faith, it's on you. Even though you will be forever in heaven with, the, with, with God. You can be born again and not practice God's word and not experience his promises here. In this chapter so far, we have had three vessels of dishonor, Ishmael, Esau, and Pharaoh. And three vessels of honor, 
Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. So we've had three on each side. And what, what is the common denominator as we wrap this up now? What is the common denominator with each? Free will. There's a choice. If we choose to yield to the Lord and to follow him, he has a predestined plan for us that is for his glory and our good. If we choose to rebel against God and do our own thing, there's another plan available, and it's death and curses. So I want to challenge you with this as, we, as, as I wrap up this series. I don't think I'm going to do, uh, continue in it next week, but I want to challenge you with this. If, if you want your life and God's goodness, his sovereign goodness, to be operable daily in your life, then there, is, there needs to be an understanding of the fact that God has a plan and it's coming to pass. Satan has a plan and it's working in the earth and we stand in the middle as the slide that we have shown the, the image for this, this series shows. We stand in the middle with our free will. If we yield to God, not only do we, do we receive grace to be saved, but we receive grace to be empowered. If we yield to our own will and to the enemy, then we will be destroyed. We'll experience death in our lives. And we are coming to a place, and we're at this place right now uh, in the church world, even currently, that um, there's a shaking going on. There's things happening in the earth that are causing whatever is in people to rise up. And so if you have a, a bunch of things rising up in your life that you don't like, that you you, you may even say, hey, I'm a Christian. This shouldn't be this way. You need to not just blame God and kind of stick your head in the sand or, or try and find something to, 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 to distract yourself on, um, you know, binge-watching shows and things like that. You need to get in the Word of God and find yourself and get the, the dross, the, the things of, of the earth, the things of the enemy, the things of the flesh out of your life. And get back into closer fellowship with the Lord so that you don't miss out. Because if you think this is bad, what happens when something else comes? That's worse. You know, I'm not that old, but so far I've lived through 9-11 and this. Not to brag, but I'm going to make it through this one too. But I guess I just brag on Jesus because he's going to get me through. And you say, what will you do with the next? We'll count it all joy. And we'll come out perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And people say, well, what if you die for the gospel? What better way to die? There is no greater way. No greater way. People are giving up their lives for all sorts of superficial things that will never last. They're, they're going to become ashes with everything else. But this is eternal. I'm looking for heavenly reward as much as we're going to have some on the earth too. The greater is on that side. It's over there. On that side. So as we wrap this up, realize this. God has a plan and it will come to pass. You have a free will and you can choose to be in it or not. Satan has a plan and both those plans are working in the earth. And we're here and this is our opportunity to serve him, to follow him 
and to function under his goodness and his mercy. He is omniscient. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-present. He knows the end from the beginning. And if we're going to know anything and function with him at a high level, we have to yield to him and to his leadership in our lives, his lordship. Father, we thank you for this series, Lord. We thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful to us. Lord, I pray that this word ministers to people. And I ask, Lord, that you'll continue to bring it to remembrance of those who need it. And, Father, that you'll grow and develop them in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your love and your mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you Sunday. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.